Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics, right here on Blog Talk Radio. Robin 
and Helene Jorgensen, uh, who I studied with for many, many years, uh, amazingly happy years. Now I have a study group uh, here in Manhattan. It's been an expansive, breathtaking experience to explore this awesome, wonderful, and truly loving book. Uh, the word Urantia, U-R-A-N-T-I-A, means our planet Earth. I'm currently the outreach chair of the Arantia Society of Greater New York, made up of Arantia book readers from New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut, and I've been the past president. I now have a Arantia book study group in Manhattan in the West Village, sponsored by the Arantia Society of Greater New York, that meets the first and third Sundays of each month throughout the year from 1 to 2 o'clock at the LGBTQ Center, 208 West 13th Street. Uh, the study group is always free of charge and open to all. Uh, we read and discuss the Rancher book as we go through it, and I can venture to say that those who attend, whether they're brand new readers or longtime readers, find it a rewarding experience on many, many levels. Uh, please let me know if you'd like to attend, and I'd be happy to give you the details. Uh, let me give you my email address, N-I-C-K-N-Y-N-Y, the figure one, at gmail.com. Uh, the Rancher book has now been translated into 22 languages and more around the way, and it's uh, sold at the better bookstores worldwide. And also you can read uh, any part of the Rancher book uh, or even listen to it on the Internet. And there's two websites I should give you. Uh, one is U-R-A-N-T-I-A-B-O-O-K dot O-R-G. Uh, the other one is U-R-A-N-T-I-A dot N-Y-C. Both of those sites are, will give you uh, that and a lot more. So please uh, do when you, uh, when you get a moment, take a look. Okay, let's get right to it. Tonight, my featured guest on the program is a very dear friend and a longtime reader of the Arantia book, as well as one of the hardest workers to bring the Arantia book to the world, Mr. Stephen Zent from Walnut Creek, California. A very warm welcome to you, Stephen. Hi, Nick. It's great to be on your co podcast. And um, I'd like to um, tell the, the listeners briefly uh, what I know about your background. The Arantia book was dropped uh, in your lap in 1971, um, it was just what uh, you wanted to be looking for and searching for, and you were interestedly enthralled by the book. And ever since, uh, you've attended study groups and uh, you, you ran your book conferences and been involved with the Arantia Book Fellowship and uh, also the Arantia Study Group locally. Uh, you're, you've said that you're eternally grateful for the revelation, and that is the center uh, feature of your spiritual and religious life. And uh, it's a wonderful statement. And Stephen, will you give us just a brief background, on your, a brief bio? Uh, sure. I grew up as a preacher's kid. Uh, my father was trained uh, in the ministry uh, at Yale Divinity School. And uh, fortunately, he was of a liberal turn of mind, and I very much benefited from watching my father on Sunday mornings conduct 
worship service and uh, my mother and my father both sang well and they loved to sing in choral works. Um, there was music and uh, a lot of uh, simple but uh, uh, sincere worship in our mm-hmm. home. Um, we moved a number of times. Uh, I was born in Fayetteville, Arkansas, near the campus of the University of Arkansas, where my father had his first church uh, after he had been ordained. And then uh, we moved to Ann Arbor, Michigan, and then we moved to St. Louis, Missouri, and then Kansas City, Missouri, and then El Paso, Texas, and finally we landed in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And that's where I was from when I moved to California. Well, that's a lot of moving. Now, did you have uh, brothers and sisters? Was it a big family? I have uh, one living sister. I had a third child in our family who was born with some birth defects, and she lived only five years. And that Uh, was back in the 50s. Okay. Wrong zero. And uh, so, and when you uh, school-wise now, uh, just what what happened with schooling? Because you've been moving so so many places there. Yeah, that was that was a bit of a challenge. But uh, I I was in that period where the uh, the schoolroom teacher was definitely in charge of the situation where they were strict and they were full of good information and they expected you to pay attention. You know, okay. it was back in the old school marm days. Uh, oh, yes. I, I benefited greatly from the teachers that I was fortunate enough to have uh, all the way through high school. Uh, I just happened to be going to high school in Albuquerque uh, at the time that Sputnik, the Russian satellite, had gone up into the sky and had turned uh, the United States into a science-conscious society, Mm -hmm. perhaps for the first time. So the high school that I went to was definitely designed to be, even though it was a public high school, a college preparatory situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I got I got to take a wonderful set of classes. Um, I was an English major, and uh, I also uh, got some French and some world problems and, uh, of course, biology and physics and chemistry and so forth and so on. Right. A wide variety of things, of course, and I do remember that time. And boy, it just uh, all of a sudden um, that Sputnik uh, sent fear uh, into the uh, our government, um, thinking, "Uh oh, we're not first. And that's, uh, right. that set the stage for so many other things that very horridly ho- uh, started taking place as we were trying to catch up and surpass. Because that was that was a scary moment when uh, the Russians had something that we didn't, and they were first uh, to have a satellite. Yeah, I we assumed that. that they were backward, and we had to That's change right. our mind. Oh boy, I, I do remember that time, and uh, you were right in the sense that it uh, education uh, all of a sudden got very 
oriented towards the science. Science was, was yes. the thing in space and all that. So, yeah, yeah. that was quite a main one. Um, and it led all so, the way up to Kennedy and the moon landing. Oh, boy. Boy, that, that's, that's for sure. And, you know, we're still finding out a great deal about that, uh, that time and that moon landing. Um, there's, uh, on the Internet, I'm sure you are aware, there's a lot of uh, c- conjecture about what actually happened and what was uh, told by the public and what was actually really happening. It's a fascinating I won't get into that now, but that's a fascinating subject, and uh, that's one of the things that uh, I'd like to uh, at some point dig into because there's a lot going on as far as the research in that particular time. Right. So, uh, so now what else? Uh, uh, what else was going on now be with you before you found the Urantia book, or the Urantia book found you? I want to know like, just up to that point, and then how did it come upon you? Well, uh, just to be brief about it, I uh, discovered when I was uh, doing my college years that I adored being in theatrical productions, and I became uh, what they called a drama major back in those days. Right. Um, So I got really involved uh, in the... uh, what was the undergraduate program at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor uh, uh, during my freshman year. And then I moved back to Albuquerque and enrolled at the University of New Mexico in a small theater department that was really excellent uh, Hmm. and had a great three and a half years there. And then uh, all things changed and I pulled up stakes and moved to San Francisco to attend San Francisco State, which was a big theater department. Uh, and boy, did I have to change my uh, my impression of how to do theater and what to do theater and so forth and so on. It was a, a real uh, awakening. Uh, all of being in San Francisco was an awakening, that's for sure. And and what time what time was that? What what uh, years were that? Uh, I actually got into the the academic scene uh, in uh, San Francisco in 1966. Okay, wow. So you were right in the middle of such an amazing time in the uh, in in America's uh, cultural uh, history there because yes. we, were, we were going through the. Uh, the flower child, the um, the hippies, the the music, the culture, the clothes, and that's right. San was one of the ep- oh my goodness, I can't even imagine that must have been quite a time. It was. It definitely was. Um, and uh, then in 1971, uh, in a just kind of casual dinner party situation, where my roommates and I. Uh, had uh, a the editor of a small magazine that we were working with uh, over for dinner, uh, we got into a heavy discussion of Jesus of Nazareth, and uh, he said, wait just a minute. And he went out the front door and came back in shortly after that and had this big blue book in his hands. And he brought it over and literally dropped it in my lap and said, take a look at this. Oh, boy. 
So I no, when I first saw the Arantia book, it looked to me like a law book because it was a kind of a blue cover and it was two thousand yep. pages, and I thought, oh my God, it's got to be a law book, right? That's yep. my first impression. Yep, it looks uh, very much like a, a highly uh, intellectual tome. That's for sure. Oh boy, oh yeah. certainly would give anybody a run for their money. So did you immediately start uh, reading the book uh, during that, well, um, that, that day Well, I opened week? it up after he dropped it in my lap. I opened okay. it up, and I was on the first page of the foreword. Yep. And I started reading, Your Planet, Your Rancha, is one of et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, I, I just had this strong sense that I was approaching something that I really needed. And after I had read about three or four paragraphs of that page, I had a visual experience in my mind of a blue light went on suddenly. And Hmm. I had this sense in my thinking uh, you've been looking for a long time and this is what you're looking for Stephen that's exactly that's exactly what happened to me as far as when I heard those few paragraphs that the minister read and uh, it was just like I've been looking for something like this all my life and now I was hearing I was hearing it what was the name of that book and I hope I can remember that word, that very strange word, Urantia. I, yep. I was trying to yep. keep it in my memory because I didn't want to lose it, you know. So that was so similar to my reaction also. The other thing that was going on uh, in San Francisco and the Bay uh, Area in Northern California uh, around that period of time was a tremendous amount of social unrest because of the Black Panthers and uh, uh, civil rights. And uh, then all of a sudden up came the LGBTQ community. Oh, boy. And uh, all, of the, all of the social uh, demands that young people started making about the old, white, uptight society that was dictating the way that we were supposed to think and the way we were supposed to behave. And I think one of the reasons why the hippies ran the beards and the long hair and the patchouli and the beads and the flowing garments and so forth was just in order to say, hey, I'm not doing that. I'm different. Yep. The same thing, of course, was going on here in in New York. And, oh, I bet uh, I got hit right with the, in the middle of all that. And uh, I remember I had a phone call from a dear friend of mine who lived in the uh, Greenwich Village area, and Alan, uh, God bless him, said, "Nick, don't come to the village in the next few days." And I said, "Alan, why would that? Why?" And he said, "There's this riot going on at the uh, Stonewall uh, Inn." Uh, and he oh, said, yeah. there, there's this trouble and someone's going to get killed. So, Nick, please stay put until 
uh, at least a day or two because I'm just afraid that something something really bad is going to happen here. Uh, and so that was, I mean, it was really right in the middle of all that. That uh, So again, it was such an incredible, as you're describing, an amazing time on so many levels. Yes, that's true. Uh, I'm sure glad that uh, my friend and your friend, Larry Geis, uh, yep. dropped that big blue book in my lap. He sensed that. Oh, was it Larry was, that did that? Yes, it was. Oh, I missed that. Oh, really? Oh, God bless him. <laughs> yep. Wow. Oh, boy. Yep. I could, I could just see Larry doing that, too, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that, that's great. Yes, that's great. I hope to have a Larry on a future podcast. Uh, I've been looking forward so much to having you on, and uh, certainly Larry also. I'm, I'm very much looking forward to having him on uh, a little later on in, in the uh, in the next few months. Yeah, he's he's living up in Santa Rosa, California now. Now, now tell me where is that? Because I'm not sure. Uh, Santa Rosa is in Sonoma County, and oh. it's north. Uh, in the wine country. Oh, it's it's okay. the big city up in that area. Is is the Paradise area that was so badly burned? Is that anywhere near there? No, uh, Paradise is a community uh, just north and east of Chico, California, and that's in Butte County, which is a different part of the state. It's Northern California for sure. But okay. it's a little bit further north and further east than uh, the wine country. Oh, thank you for clarifying that. I'm just trying to get an idea uh, just about what, what was going on. So, uh, wow. So, <laughs> boy, Larry certainly uh, picked the right person to drop that book on. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it was a solid what, what were your first, um, is, I may ask, because um, what did you do? Did you go to the table of contents first? Did you just stay, you on, what, just go from page to page during the weeks and months ahead? Like, how did you approach the book? Well, I, uh, I tend to read uh, carefully and not very speedily. And okay. I, I did... Uh, as you mentioned a minute ago, uh, I perused the table of contents. Okay. And the more that I read, the more I realized that this was talking to me about the religion that I grew up in. All of the passages about God, about angels, about history of the planet and uh, Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, and so forth and so on, and Melchizedek. Here was Melchizedek all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. uh, and all these things began to say to me, you know, you're going to have to learn a whole lot in order to read this. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else happened to me, and I count this as one of the big blessings, Larry not only dropped the book in my lap, but he also introduced me to the Knob Hill study group. And so I, from the very beginning, was 
gently introduced to the Urantia book in a really very fine study group. Oh, that's great. Uh, I, I can't recommend being involved in a study group more highly than to say it really. Uh, yeah, it's it's a, it is difficult to read the book alone. I mean, some people do that because there isn't a study group near them, um, and uh, more power to them. But if if there is a study group anywhere in your region, uh, what you're saying is absolutely true. It's um, it's such a rewarding experience to be sharing the book with others, and yes. then of course when questions come up, um, people can can pipe in and answer and also uh, forge new questions that will make you think uh, and and it goes deep so i totally get what you're saying and study groups are absolutely wonderful and uh, there you can find a study group uh, for the listeners uh, in your area uh, if there is one by going to urantiabook.org and they have a, a section on that website where you can locate all the study groups of uh, uh, worldwide, and you could find if there's one in your area. So uh, that's that's a good way to take a look at that and see. There's other ways too. There's um, study groups that are online and that sort of thing. Uh, so if you're not in a place that's near a study group, there there is a way to to uh, contact other readers, and and uh, that's another wonderful way to to uh, delve into this book. Uh, I I can tell you there. Uh, that when I uh, saw the book for the first time, I went directly into the table of contents, and that just whetted my appetite even more because those chapters uh, were all addressing uh, so many questions that I had, and it was just like an embarrassment of riches. Uh, yes, just indeed. to go from one. It was like potato chips. I tell people, once you taste one chip, you're going to go through the whole bag. <laughs> yep. And that's uh, what the ranch book is, that, uh, right? What's that? I'm sorry. The Rancher book is like that because once you start, I mean, I remember I, uh, the whole first weekend I was in the book. Yeah. <laughs> I just really, I just wanted to stay in and read this book. Yep. Yep. So it's like, it's like potato chips. You have to have one. I think you're going to go for the bag. Yes. I think you're right. Uh, <laughs> another thing that uh, took place was that I, uh, I'm not exactly sure how it happened, but I got, suggested that I open up the whole thing about Adam and Eve. Uh -huh. And, of course, I knew only what was in the book of Genesis in the Bible. And, boy, did that open my mind up. Yep. Yeah, it certainly it certainly does do that. It gives you on such a deep level that things yes. that you had explored before, whether whatever you know denomination you were in, um, if it was a Christian group, and then all of a sudden you were getting uh, such a in depth. Uh, I, I I think of it as uh, going from black and white to three D, a color surround sound. Yes, <laughs> because that's, that's right. That's what it does per per subject. That's right. And it also points out that we're not talking about a woman and a snake and an apple. Yep. We're talking about real human beings having a real human experience. 
Well, you know, that's a very good point because uh, on the fourth part of the book, the fourth part of the book is devoted to the life of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, and a lot of uh, a lot of information that's not anywhere else is in the fourth part of the Arantia book. And what you're saying, Stephen, is so true that they, they, it brings these these people that you've been reading about uh, into such a real life uh, light that you see them as people with problems with yearnings, with dreams, and it goes very deep into these various personalities. And that just absolutely fascinated me, don't you think? Yes, indeed. Uh, In fact, uh, when somebody told me the apocryphal story about what it was that finally turned uh, our psychiatrist mentor, Dr. William Sadler, uh, from a skeptic to a believer was when he read the brief biographies or descriptions of the personalities of the apostles. Absolutely true. It, 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 now you know what they were like, what, what, what they really were about, and, and the times that they lived in. And it, it makes it so much more real and yes. uh, on, on so many levels. And that really, I think, is one of the big strong points of going through the book is that it gives you that amazing experience of you almost feel as though you're there. Yes, exactly. Right. I it's think right they're for brilliant you too, at And that. you feel like you know, there's a reporter almost that's, that's uh, taking you through the various chapters of what these people are going through. Yes. And that, that's very exciting. I, I tell you, I, I, we're, my study group is getting ready to go into part four, and I'm so excited because uh, for them, because when they start getting into part four of the book, the, uh, the Life and Teachings of Jesus, I just think that it's, it's going to be an amazing experience for them. I'm, I'm very excited that we're going to be doing that very, within the next few weeks, we're going to be there. We, we did very much the same thing uh, about a year and a half ago in our uh, study group in Walnut Creek, uh, starting uh, with the, uh, I guess it was the visit to the temple in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. We started there and uh, said, if you want to delve into the youth of Jesus' life uh, and her, his childhood, uh, please do read that for yourself. But here we are taking a look at Jesus presenting himself to the doctors of the Sanhedrin. Remember? Yes. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Mary and Joseph exciting started and, going and courageous. home. <laughs> yep. Oh, boy. And they couldn't find him. Yeah, very courageous. <laughs> Uh, that's another thing too, is that uh, Jesus, um, uh, and I think in, in some in some literature is a such a kind of goody two shoes in a way that's almost too sweet. Yes. And this is this is really saying this is a man. This is a very uh, amazing amazing man on so many levels that is uh, courageous and and is not afraid to to speak the truth his truth that's right and to try to help everybody around him and making making it his business to to help anyone he comes across and uh, and also he's he's also uh standing up 
to the uh, to the lies that that are going on to the that's right. to the uh, the greed that's going on and standing up to that and saying I, I won't have it uh, and boy I love that part yes he was very clear about the fact that he needed to be merciful with his apostles and the others who gathered around him because he knew that he was teaching things that they struggled to try to understand. Yes. Yep. He was very merciful in his approach to their weakness in being able to comprehend him. Exactly. He really got behind, behind their eyes and they, and, and, and was very, um, uh, what shall I say, understanding and, and really in very deep detail, wanted to reach them on a level that they could understand, and he did everything he could and certainly succeeded uh, in, in that effort. Um, and it, it's just an amazing uh, read. Uh, you, I've read it several times, and I, I gotta, I'm sure you'll agree that every time you go through that, it still is the most powerful, joyous, loving wonderful experience you could possibly have right right and and the discourses on true religion and other other teachings that the midwayers worked so hard to put into the english language uh so that we could comprehend it uh you just uh, are boggled by what incredibly important, beautiful teaching this really turns out to be. Absolutely true. And it it, it runs through the entire book. Um, uh, It's, um, it really is very moving. I know that in the study group, we've gone through parts of the book, especially the fourth section where people uh, who are reading is their turn to read the book, and if you if you want to read when it's your turn, you can. If if you don't want to, you, you they'll pass to the next person. And a lot of times, people are choked up and, and yes. even crying because yes. it's so moving that they can't help but express their emotions, and um, that includes me for sure. You know that there's times when you can't talk, yeah. and there's quiet quiet times in the study group because. After reading a certain passage, you need to really have a few quiet moments to digest what you just read. Exactly. Yes, yes. Boy, how powerful, how wonderful is that? And I think all the study groups must have uh, that kind of experience, um, especially in the fourth part of the book. Um, You know, you have uh, in in the notes here, you have a question about – what stood out for you, and did you find any part of the Urantia book difficult? Yes, and I was going to say, would you could you uh, go with that a little bit for us? Boy, oh boy, uh, <laughs> I I waded into the Supreme Being papers, and I also tried to wade into some of the. Areas uh, like universal unity and uh, matter, mind, and spirit, uh, and so forth. Uh, And I realized that I just didn't get it. And I mentioned this to some really well-seasoned people uh, 
who happened to be members of the Family of God organization over in Berkeley, California. Okay. A number of us from San Francisco uh, got acquainted with each other because we were into the Urantia book, and then we found out that there was this big study group in Berkeley, and so we started going over to that study group as well. And Uh here were these big brains, these big minds, uh, and I said to one of them, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really struggling with this. I'm, I'm, I don't think I'm getting it. And he said, well, l- let me give you a little bit of advice. He said, you have within you a spirit that will help you learn. And what you need to do, first of all, is to acknowledge that you know that spirit is there. And second of all, you need, especially just before you're about to turn out the lights and go to sleep, to say, I'm really not clear about this. Would you help me to understand, please? Wow. Wow, wonderful advice. It it just rang such a truth bell for me, and I've tried that on so many occasions now, just saying, I don't get it. Can you help me, please? Mm-hmm. Just as I'm about to go to sleep. Mm-hmm. And the next morning, you wake up, and something has shifted. You've got a little bit more clarity than you had before. I can imagine that that's true, and sometimes I have similar said, said similar things about please help me here, and I felt as though I got the help I needed. Yes, and good. It was it was coming from uh, some other source that that my my thinking was being heard. That's a very powerful a very powerful emotion to uh, to have. Uh, one of the parts of the book that, that really got me through very difficult times was when I was losing very, very close friends to AIDS and cancer and yep. and uh, my parents to old age. And I think that's one of the challenges of life that we all go through and trying to trying to maneuver through that highly emotional time. And the Arantia book honestly saved me so many times as I read passages of what they are saying is next for us, our universal career and how it's going to happen. And that it was a healing, I will have to say joyous read and and knowledge too. Did you find that to be true too? Definitely. There were crossroads in my life in which I, I simply didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. I, I was completely at a loss, and I I believe in the power of prayer. I also believe that God helps those who help themselves, and that really puts you in the position of hearing what a teacher is saying to you. And putting it to use. I realized that 
I was skimming over teachings that I needed to understand and reread because perhaps I was unwilling to make the changes that I needed to make in order to step onto a more mature level of life. Okay. Uh, I also had a wonderful experience out of uh, my relationship with my father. Uh, We never really were close when I was growing up uh, for a number of different reasons. Uh, But after he had retired from work, I presented a copy of the Urantia book to him. And at first, I don't think he thought much of it. But my friend Patricia Feary and I would go up to Sacramento and visit them, my mother and dad. Mm-hmm. And we would talk about the Urantia book. And finally, a couple of things that we said sparked um, curiosity in my father. Ah. And he actually cracked the book open and started reading certain Good for of him. It. Good for him to do that. I was so moved and grateful to find that out. He didn't say anything to me about it, but he put penciled marks in and little notes and had bookmarks in various passages and so forth. And uh, after he passed away, I was given the book back by my mother. Uh, She was not interested. Uh, And so uh, here I discovered all of these indications that he had really been digging into it. It it was such a a good thing to know. Oh, that's, that's, I'm so happy for you and for him. That's great. You know, when my, my parents, when I started mentioning that there was a book that was meaning a great deal to my wife and it was called the Urantia book, and I had I was brought up Roman Catholic, and my aunt was a, a nun, a sister superior in the uh, Our Ladies of Mount Carmel, uh, uh, of Mount Carmel uh, Church. Uh, and and so um, when I mentioned something like this that wasn't the Bible that I was very much into, they, they were uh, how shall I say it um, nervous. Uh oh, uh-huh. what's this? What's Nick getting uh-huh. into? And yeah. I, I said to them after reading this book and also going to catechism and other studies, I said, I've never felt more spiritual. I've never felt so close to to Jesus and the teachings than now. So just understand that this has just given me a whole new depth of love and appreciation. And I think that totally calmed them down. (laughs) It just did. Uh, Because they didn't have to be, "Uh uh-oh, what's this? I I, I gave them a, a few more sections of the book and they realized that this was something amazing that I came across and it was meaning a great deal in my life. And they relaxed after that. Yeah. Good. That's good. Uh, I think because there are so many, uh, so many terms, uh, so many uh, concepts that really 
break the old molds of the way we used to think about the universe, the way we used to think about God, the way we used to think about Jesus, the way we used to think about his mother Mary. All of these quasi-theological ideas that have come to us from Melchizedek and Abraham on down through Moses, the great prophets, and certainly through Mary Magdalene, uh, as well as the women's corps, uh, knowing that Jesus was as interested in the women of his believer group as he was in the men. Uh, mm-hmm. These these are all levels that take us out beyond the old time religion. Oh boy, that's that's the truth. That's the truth. It expands it expands you so much, and um, it's it's it feels like high time. It's it feels like the clarity the clarity is here, and it resonates, and it's yes. it's an amazing feeling. When you when you actually are feeling that as you're reading passages from the book, yep. that it's resonating big time, and you're thinking, how 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 wonderful that I I came across this book, and I can't imagine if I hadn't. Um, I think I would have been a good person and all that, but this gives you so much more to to work with. Yes, and and the other thing that they kind of poke you and remind you of is that Jesus was a man of good humor. He wasn't yes. a sad sack. He was right. he was a very bright, very loving individual. And there's this whole thing about if you're hung up in your ego, you may not have much of a sense of humor. Lighten up. Yes. Oh, that's so true. You're absolutely you, you really hit that right. Yep. Totally get that. Because there was a and there is a lot of humor in the book, which is amazing that it's there. And uh, <laughs> yes. there's so many times when you're thinking, Yeah, great, I'm rooting for you. <laughs> yes indeed. Oh boy, that that's something. Um, another part of the book too, uh, just briefly, I wanted to mention this uh, when I've got you here is that um, there are parts of the book that seem like uh, physics books, science yes. books, history yes. books uh, uh, on a cutting edge level, and then you're then you're reading the life of Jesus and the teachings and and what was going on in that time and how it relates to our time. And my point in saying is that there's so many different elements to this book. Oh, yeah, 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 indeed. And it surprised me at first that we're we're talking about so many um, scientific uh, rules and and, um, discoveries, and now, even now, our science is still catching up to what some of the Rancher book is saying. Which exactly. is pretty amazing. I know that there is there was. I don't know if it still exists, but I saw a newsletter uh, that scientists and uh, researchers share information. They're all Urantia book readers, and they're saying that Urantia book spurs them on to ideas dealing with the parts of science that they're involved with. Yep. 
I, I How can. wonderful is that? Uh, that just floored me. I can say that uh, there are a number of extremely brilliant individuals that I've come across over the years who who just treasure the Urantia book. They have found, as you are saying, these ineffable inspirations in various passages. You know, speaking of that, uh, Stephen, one thing, too, is that um, there is a way that you can get uh, each day a quote from the Urantia book and uh, either a photograph or an, an art something related to the text and they'll send that to you every day on an email. Oh yeah, um, that's right. That's I, right. I bet you, do you get that too? No, but it's from Jesusonian foundation, I think. Exactly. And I've gotten that over the years and I've given that to a lot of other people to say, why don't you try this? And they all come back and say, you know, every day when I open up my emails and get that, that, uh, that sentence or the, or the few sentences with the visual, it really sets me off on the, on the right foot each day. Let me tell you what I do instead. Uh, my friend Patricia Ferry was a graphic artist, and she and a man named Gard Jameson, who oh, yes. is uh, one of the foundation trustees, uh, decided that they were going to do a series of perpetual calendars. So I have one calendar that is nothing but quotes from the Urantia book, day by Whoa. day, wow. through the year. Another one that is quotes from uh, Asian and Eastern philosophy and thought and religion from Confucius and Lao Tse and from uh, Guru Nanak uh, and a number of other teachers on the Eastern religion front. And then there's another calendar that's made up of quotes from Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Excellent. And these things I have scattered around my apartment. So if I happen to be at a pause, there's the day of the week uh, and the quote of the day in front of me. That's wonderful. I really is that like available that. on um, or the, from the fellowship? Is that or the is that available? I honestly don't know anymore. Okay. Uh, I have to check that out. I believe. If you were to ask Paula Thompson at headquarters, uh, she might be able to point you in the right direction on that. Uh, good, good, uh, good thought there, and I will do that. By the way, I had a Paula Thompson recently on my podcast. Great. And as you can imagine, it was quite an hour. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> you know, and so I'm going to say this to you, and I said this to Paula. Would you please come back for a part two sometime? Yeah. Because we can't begin to, <laughs> I mean, this hour already is speeding, speeding along. And with Paula, it was the same thing. Uh, it just seemed like it was 10 minutes, and we were like five minutes away from the uh, the end of the program. And, it, you know, it's always just amazing to me how quickly the time goes. And certainly Paula was no exception to that. Like, 
she she had also stories about her growing up and finding the book and her how it affected her personal life, like it does for everyone who reads the book. Yes, and indeed. it was just incredible, absolutely incredible. By yeah. the way, I don't know if you know this or not, but all the programs, the uh, podcasts, are archived so that you can go back and hear uh, my guest from many months ago. Oh, is that right? Yeah. A- and yeah. it's the so. same one that produces uh, Paula's um, uh, Blog Talk Radio uh, program on Saturdays, right? Oh, I, I'm not sure about that. Maybe uh, uh, Hercules, my, my producer, dear friend, would, would clarify that when he comes on in a few minutes. Okay. I don't know that, but... But that's that's also a wonderful way. And I've I've interviewed people not only from the Orange Society of Greater New York, but also you know from other places, uh, California and uh, other other areas. And uh, it's always like uh, so wonderful to get. Everyone's got such a different story, and so so interesting. And it's yep. a great way to get to know people who read the book on such a personal level, you know, of like who they that's are right. and, and what happened, you know. Like, um, there's a few books out called How I Found the Arantia Book, and that's Satskia has, yes. uh, I believe, her and, and uh, Michael have produced those those wonderful books. Yes. And that's also an eye-opener of, of, the simp- of the personal stories that people have of how they came across the book or how the book came across them. <laughs> right. <laughs> Very yeah, exactly. interesting stuff. Yes, exactly. Uh, so. Oh boy! Do you have? Now we're coming to very close to the end. Do you have a, any final thoughts for the for the listeners who probably have just recently heard of the Orange Book? Well, I have a a couple of short paragraphs that I could read. Let me see. It's a nine. I have nine fifty three. So maybe choose a, a small one, and, and if you will, please. Okay, this is from paper one ninety five after Pentecost. Okay. It says the finite universe of matter would eventually become uniform and deterministic, but for the combined presence of mind and spirit. The influence of the cosmic mind constantly injects spontaneity into even the material worlds. Freedom or initiative in any realm of existence is directly proportional to the degree of spiritual influence and cosmic mind control. That is, in human experience, the degree of the actuality of doing the Father's will. And so, once you start out to find God, that is the conclusive proof that God has already found you. Wow. Wow, that's amazingly wonderful. Uh, you know, that would have me right away. Just just that one that one bit would have me right away to say, "Okay, got to get the book." <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah wow. Um, is there any other? Uh, we might have time for one short one. Do you have another one? Uh, no, actually, I don't. Uh, All right. Well, you we can next but, time around, and uh, please, you know, you certainly have a standing invitation, and I'll. Uh, find out your schedule, and we'll we'll do a part two for sure. And perhaps okay. we you could choose a few more of those uh, that, that are wonderful. especially meaningful for you, and share them with the listeners. Yes, indeed, I'd be happy to do that. It's been really a pleasure to chat through all of this with you, Nick. 
What a good service oh, you, you do with your podcast. Oh, thank you it, so much, Stephen. You know, it's such Nick a joy. He's an awesome individual, and uh, he, he's, uh, um, he's been a very uh, powerful advocate for uh, the Urantia book, uh, um, not only in his activities, but on his podcast as well. Uh, so uh, um, Nick is doing a great job. Thank you, Hercules, for saying that. <laughs> really, thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. And to answer your question earlier, no, I'm not the same uh, producer who does the other podcast. It's also on Blog Talk Radio, but there's another producer who uh, um, does Polish show. I see. Thank you. Okay. So are we just about at the end now? Uh, yes, sir. <laughs> you know, we, this this flew. This absolutely. You know, they all do, don't they? They all. It doesn't seem like an hour ever to me. It seems like. No. Maybe 10 minutes. <laughs> well, good news on that. Uh, once we make the transition into uh, our own uh, station, which is unfolding and should be coming by mid-year, um, I'm going to be talking about increasing your shows to two hours. <laughs> and then that'll oh, seem like a podcast. So. <laughs> well, you know, we really we can fill that because, as you know, you know, there's so much to talk about and yes. uh, we've never been at a loss to, uh, to, to, to go into this uh, deeply. So two hours, bring it on, bring it on. Hey. Thank you very much. And I'd like to thank both of you for a very uh, informative, uh, very deep and a very spiritual show. And uh, Stephen, I'm looking forward to your coming back on. Thank you, Hercules. And Hercules, I just got to say, you're a wonderful friend and the best producer anyone could ever dream to have. You deserve well, to you. hear that. Coming from you, that means a lot. And you know, I feel very powerfully about you as well. Um, thank you again for a wonderful show. Uh, we're going to be playing a, a very uh, quick uh, song, and then we'll be back with uh, part two. Uh, thank you again, and many blessings. Okay. Love to all. Much love to everyone. Okay, we're going to play Merlin M.I.
blameless land Many died for the folly of King Merlin am I Merlin am I And I know and welcome back to Pride of Olympus. I'm your host, Hercules Invictus, and I am honored to announce the second half of our program, which is Starfleet Adventures. And tonight we have on the adventurers Nicholas Dyack, Michelle Brittany, and Thomas Ponton. Greetings and welcome, fellow adventurers. Greetings and hello, everyone. Hi. Good evening, everyone. Hello. Good evening, Hercules. Hi, Michelle. How you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. 
Um, today, what uh, our meeting online is about is just kind of like to finish uh, uh, um, polishing up the ideas that we uh, presented in previous uh, episodes. Uh, and then to start uh, some uh, activities together, creative uh, activities uh, that are mythic and epic in uh, scope. Now, Thomas, I must let you know that you're very popular. Tina wanted her wanted you to be on her team, <laughs> so uh, oh. I've added you to two teams now. So, uh, <laughs> well, I feel quite honored then. <laughs> Thank you. Um, now, uh, everything was kind of fuzzy before and it's starting to come into uh, greater focus. So um, I sent out uh, some emails, uh, but let me go over them um, a little bit. I have a, a draft here, and uh, I updated what I was doing before that I sent out. So uh, basically, at, in, at the current uh, level of activity, uh, the show that we have on the third Monday of the month. Um, it will be starting with uh, Bob Bossler from Starfleet International. And then the second half hour, um, if he has a guest from Starfleet International, I'll be interviewing uh, the guest. And if he doesn't, we will have a Starfleet Adventures uh, show uh, with one of the groups. So that'll be starting in May, an ongoing thing. And then the uh, um, second uh, Thursday of each month from 10 to 11, which is where we are now, uh, there'll be a Starfleet uh, Adventures uh, uh, podcast as well. So uh, I broke everybody up into teams, and um, I will let people know what the opening dates are, and then uh, people can pick, because they're not always going to be available in the order that you know I, I numbered the teams. So you guys are team one, and that's uh, Nicholas, Michelle, and uh, Thomas. And then team two is Brian and Tina Chandler and Thomas. Uh, team three is uh, Nick Curdo, Diane Duncan, and Michael Duncan. Now, what uh, they share in common is uh, that they're all uh, um, readers of the Urantia book, and uh, they represent uh, two different Urantia book uh, groups, uh, with different understandings, and one of them is very uh, heavily uh, um, influenced by Greek mythology. Um, so as my personal mission is to explore Greek mythology in, in cosmic uh, science fiction spirituality, uh, uh, it makes it uh, um, more focused of them together. Uh, team four is uh, um, people from the Unarius Educational Foundation, or also known as the Unarius Academy of Science, and that's another cosmic uh, spirituality group uh, that has a lot of Greek mythical elements woven in uh, um, to their uh, um, theogony. And uh, so basically that will be the focus there. And then uh, Team 5 um, is uh, Mike McLaughlin and Brian Chandler. They had wanted to discuss like uh, uh, futuristic science. So I'm opening that up to anybody and everybody that wants to um, uh, discuss futuristic science. And then the backup team will be Bob Vosler again, either by himself or with somebody from uh, uh, Starfleet International. Uh, so we currently have six uh, uh, teams and uh, this way, um, each team will be on at least once every other month uh, between the two cool. shows. Cool. So does that sound agreeable to anybody, to everybody? 
That works fine for me. Okay, great. Yeah, we should be good. Okay, good. Um, So, okay, today I I will start by summarizing um, my backstory for this adventure. So, uh, basically, my character is going to be me. And I actually am and have been for a very long time investigating Greek mythical elements in uh, uh, science fiction, fantasy, and uh, in uh, cosmic uh, spirituality. And uh, in my writings uh, that have been published in anthologies, I've drawn many many parallels between uh, the ancient, uh, what they call theosophy, and then the modern uh, cosmic uh, spiritualities, you know, to show how that's part of the same uh, phenomenon. So I will be continuing my uh, work uh, uh, as we explore the fictive uh, uh, Star Trek uh, universe. And the starting off point will be the episode, Who Mourns uh, for Adonis, in which uh, Captain Kirk and crew encountered Apollo. And uh, um, that that encounter led to his death, according to some accounts. Uh, so uh, we're starting there in our fictive fanfic type of exploration with investigating what happened to uh, Apollo and solving that mystery. And should we hold the Federation accountable for his uh, death? Um, and the other influencing factor that went into that story back in the, I guess, very early 80s when I first started uh, uh, doing this uh, was uh, Bob Layton's uh, Hercules uh, miniseries is for Marvel. And actually that was the first miniseries uh, Marvel had actually ever done. So uh, um, it might even be the first miniseries ever <laughs> in comic books. So that influenced me a great deal as well. And although I'm no, I'm no longer going to be heavily drawing from uh, um, that uh, um, origin, um, I, the elements of the story will continue in this one. Uh, so anyway, that's that's where I'm coming from. What I'm doing, and I've sent out a call to adventure uh, to others throughout the multiverse uh, to see if uh, they would like to join in this exploration uh, and, of course, pursue their own um, uh, quests uh, with the resources we have as a multi-dimensional time ship. That sounds great. That sounds great. I wish I was as uh, intelligent sounding as you. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, if all of you can just uh, bring up what you spoke about uh, before with your characters. So let's solidify the characters. And then what I'd also like uh, you to do is um, like think Star Trek or Babylon 5. You know, everybody has kind of like a job on the ship. What would your job be if you were in a, uh, um, a, a ship of that sort uh, right now? Would you okay, like to go I'll first, Michelle, or would you like to go first? Or <laughs> sure. Great. Sure, I can go first. Um, so, recapping what I am looking at with my character, um, who is called Amarit Patah. Um, it's a young woman. Uh, she is ancient Egyptian, and I'm still solidifying her backstory. But given um, what we talked about. Um, a couple of times ago with uh, the um, introduction of the game playing Rift, 
um, and the time travel allowed me to kind of think more in terms that this is a this is a character that could come from ancient Egypt, um, and so she's uh, you know forward thinking, um, you know not the typical female. She's uh, you know seeks out knowledge and um, she has an interest in history. So I think she kind of tends towards sciences and trying to understand other civilizations, uh, which kind of flows well with um, the Star Trek uh, mission right. uh, to seek out, you know, new worlds, uh, try to understand them. Um, so I see her as kind of a, a young, you know, officer cadet type of person. Um, okay. Yeah, and I, I would guess, you know, kind of science and, um, you know, maybe herbology or something like that is, you know, because all the Star Trek characters seem to have a lot of complexity to them and they did a lot of different things, uh, which was great because you could draw a lot from them and, and really explore the world because they had all these various interests. So, um that's kind of my character, what I have been kind of thinking. Um, personally, I'm interested in kind of looking at, you know, exploring um, the ancient Egyptian mysticism, their philosophy, um, gaining insight with regards more generally to diplomacy and preservation of civilizations. Wow. That sounds awesome. Does that fit? Yeah, that is fantastic. Uh, the, the the motivations are right, and uh, um, it it allows you a lot of uh, flexibility uh, in uh, the types of things that you'll be uh, exploring. So that is fantastic. I'll go next year. Oh, okay, Thomas. Uh... Yeah. Okay. So my character, my character is Simbaka Rafikin, king of the Prylandian Empire. Um, his kingdom is he's of a, a lion humanoid. Um, his people were ancestors, their ancestors came from Earth during the, to the eugenics era, and they left on sleeper ships, and, and kind of like something like all the Thundercats ended up on a planet and started a kingdom and was able to branch off into outer space eventually. Simbaka uh-huh. uh, is well known for his diplomacy. He's opened up to other worlds that offered to make relations with, with Pridelandia. And he also is an earth historian as well. He's, he's been fascinated about earth, especially what happened like in the 20th, 21st centuries, but also the fact that he's also had studied a bit of Greek mythology, although he's also studied a bit of like also Celtic and African shamanism, but he's also had a fascination with Greek mythology. So the prospect of him having this chance to make diplomatic relations with what he's read about the gods and goddesses of Mount Olympus and would be breathtaking for him. And especially if there was a chance that a Paul might be alive, his diplomatic skills would be coming good handy to say that, okay, there was a misunderstanding. Maybe we can make the proper relations that we could work something out. That sounds awesome. And that is a common thread so far, the diplomacy and, uh, um, so I, I like that very, very much, and I remember uh, Simbaka has his own Facebook page. And uh, yes, you, he does. Uh, that is fantastic. That is and he's also, also he's also 
Yep, he's also an inventor sometimes too. So he can also help on the technical stuff as well. But usually he likes to be there on the, the front line, giving the best strategy and diplomacy. So welcome aboard. Honored to have you. So far, I have a phenomenal uh, um, bunch of dignitaries on board. Uh, Nicholas, how about you? Your yours was a scholar. He was. So mine's slightly different. So okay. His name is Enteron Revic. The name Enteron comes from an old video game called Betrayal in Antara. And that used to be like an old uh, chat name I used to use way back in the 90s when the internet was starting. And Revic comes from the villain in the movie Scanners. It just sounds cool. Yes, it so, does. Like... <laughs> So like last time, I kind of modeled my character after a Forgotten Realms character named Volothamp Gadarn. And he's uh-huh. a, a traveler uh, and a scholar. What he does is, um, you know, my type of character, I want him to be able to be the Marco Polo of the stars. He likes to pen uh-huh. travelogues, guidebooks, and so on and so forth. He's not really a fighter. Uh, he's more of a talker. He likes to eat, drink, and probably gamble. He likes to consider himself kind of high class, even though he's maybe not really. Um, you know, his life was, you know, growing up on different backwater planets. You know, those types of planets that have, you know, just one outpost and the rest is desolate. You know, he's been hopping between those in his youth. So one of the reasons he wants to explore out there is to see a bit more of what's, you know, out there from big, you know, cityscape planets to, you know, verdant utopias. And so that's his kind of background is, you know, he writes, he travels, he kind of wants to experience it all. Um, But as far as like charisma, diplomacy, he's probably second fiddle on that stuff. He's more of a, you know, oh, all right, guys, let's talk about this. But he's not very good at talking about this. Uh Uh-huh. That uh, Winkle, he adds a roguish element <laughs> to our exploration. I, you, I would think so. You know, I've always, when, when usually when I used to play D&D and whatnot, I always try to pick a class and kind of play against the type. Like if I uh-huh. was a thief, I wouldn't really play them as a thief. I'd probably play them as kind of something else. They just happen to have some thief-like abilities. And I always think mm-hmm. you know, a roguish character adds a little bit of something. Um you know, they don't always have to be thieves or, uh, uh, or what, what should I say, cut purses or burglars or whatever. You know, they could try to be charmers and be failures at it. If I had to, like, uh, pick another character he's kind of modeled after or what he kind of aspires to be is, you know, if you think of the Mummy films, the ones that Michelle likes, the one with um, uh, Brandon Fraser. Uh, you know, he's the the friend who always kind of has the scheme and he wants to kind of get ahead, but he's terrible at uh-huh. it. There's probably a hint of that to this character as well, you know. And another hint would probably be the uh, the real-life person who passed away a couple, you know, months ago, Anthony Bourdain. You know, he, he wants to experience all the different cultures, be it highbrow or lowbrow, but he also wants to kind of elevate himself a little bit in society, I suppose. That, that sounds incredibly awesome. Okay, so that, that is a fantastic thing. Uh, 
from the other people, uh, they are going to be on our vessel, which I decided to name the Argo, uh, just to keep everything consistent because uh, uh, too many things just like muddy the water. So since I used the uh, Argonaut voyage uh, uh, extensively, I'll just stick with uh, that. So uh, the Argo is the pride of Olympus, you know, uh, in in that it's the flagship. So uh, that's how it relates uh, to the title of the show. Um, and to the activities uh, tied to the show, but it'll be called uh, the Argo. And uh, um, there is a very rich uh, astral mythology about uh, the Argo, and uh, astronomers at one point made it into three different pieces. So each part of the Argo was, uh, uh, is a different constellation. So there's three constellations to make up the Argo because it's, uh, it's uh, quite large. So I'm working on a story explaining that uh, metaphysically. So that'll become part of uh, uh, our tale. And uh, um, you're, is there any particular time that you're from? Uh, like, uh, for instance, uh, 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 Simbaka is from after the eugenics wars. Uh, Amenkita is from uh, ancient Egypt. Is there a particular time that you're from? No, I'm okay no, being contemporary. Okay. You know, whatever the present is for your story is where he would probably want to be. Okay, and uh, we're going to be from many different presents <laughs> in many different universes. Uh, now, I've cataloged in between our conversation all the different uh, um, things in the Star Trek universe that uh, we can, uh, um, you know, explore, and it's way too large. Uh, so uh, I figured what we'd do is we'd ex- uh, examine a couple of threads uh, and then we would move on to like another uh, science fiction uh, franchise uh, and explore that for a while and then come back to, to Star Trek. So there's plenty in Star Trek to explore uh, regarding uh, ancient uh, Greek mythology. And I thought we would start with uh, Who Mourns for Adonis uh, and then go to Plato's Stepchildren. Are you guys familiar with uh, that episode? Yes, I am. No. I think so. Okay. Thomas, would you care to share some background about it? Uh, I'm trying to remember now. It's Now I'm trying to remember here. Because that was the one... Uh, maybe not. Maybe okay, you I'll, have to fill it. I'll I'll just, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. The Enterprise finds a planet uh, th- where they have adopted the, the, the writings of uh, Plato. Uh, in terms of making an ideal society. And the rulers of this uh, planet all have psionic uh, powers. And uh, they're not very good in uh, teaming up uh, together with the psionic powers. Uh, So the person with the strongest uh, psionic uh, powers is uh, the ruler. And uh, there are very few people without psionic powers, and uh, those with psionic powers manipulate them and uh, toy with them uh, in uh, very, like, sundry, demeaning ways. Uh, So uh, there is a dwarf. I don't remember his name. I I remember the leader's name was Parman. I think the dwarf's name was Alexander. Um, And uh, uh, somehow Bones develops a shot. Uh, that uh, um, allows them to break free of the influence of uh, these uh, beings. And uh, he offers the shot to Alexander, who refuses it because it would make him just like the others, and he doesn't want to be anything like the others. So that was the gist of the 
the show. There's also like a line of Troyes, there are Medusans, uh, uh, there is bread and circuses where uh, Rome uh, is uh, um, found on another planet, uh, even with uh, the origins of Christianity intact. So uh, these ancient uh, uh, places seem to play out endlessly uh, with endless variations throughout the universe. So uh, like I said, uh, we can explore Q, we can explore... uh, um, Star Trek V, where a god is in the middle of the uh, um, uh, galaxy and is uh, looking for a starship. There's so much there. Um, but then we would spend all our time in the Star Trek universe. I'm sure you guys like other universes as well. Like, for instance, I'm very, I've spoken about this before. Uh, I'm very enamored of Stargate. And uh, Stargate has enough hints there that would be fun to explore, uh, especially for uh, Egypt. Yeah, I was thinking that. <laughs> well, they also had a whole series that was centered around Atlantis, too. Yes, they had a whole uh, series that centered around Atlantis. I think they did uh, five seasons within Atlantis. I and believe so, left, yeah. left the story unfinished. <laughs> okay, so does that sound like a, uh, like a plan? We do uh, um, those two Star Trek uh, tales, and then we... Uh, um, go to Stargate. And uh, Kronos, Athena, Ares, uh, they all appeared there as well as uh, a lot of the Egyptian uh, gods. So we should watch those two episodes of Star Trek before next month? Yeah, or just one of them. We'll start off with Who Mourns for Adonis. I have, um, I have a, a, a good copy of the paperback book for uh, both of you. Uh, but I haven't mailed it yet, so it's still sitting here uh, uh, on my bookshelf, but I will get it to you. Um, and Thomas, do you have a copy of uh, the James Blish novelizations? Unfortunately, I do not, know. Okay, uh, PM me or email me your address and I'll mail you. I have like four copies that I found while going through my stuff, so I can send you a copy as well. Sure, and, I'll be glad uh, I'm sorry? What did you say, Nicholas? I'm sorry. Oh, I was going to say, on our end, we'll see if we can uh, track down that book. And uh, Star Trek, the original series, is on Amazon Prime, so we could totally watch it before next month. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, no, I have a copy for you. Okay. It, yeah, it's also, it is, it's also on Netflix and Hulu, too, if you if you got access to that as well. Excellent. Oh, okay, so you, you guys can watch the episode because I, I was going to look through my uh, DVDs to see if I had an extra of it. But if you guys can access it, and there was a sequel done to it in Star Trek Continues. Um, there was yep, an and episode. the act, and, yep, and, yeah, the actor that played Apollo reprised his role and everything. Yes, 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 and the uh, the people who played the original crew did an excellent job of. Uh, um, you know, embodying what the ancient, what the old show was about, uh, and uh, playing it so that you forgot that it's a whole different set of people except for Apollo. Yeah, we're looking at that right now um, on Wikipedia. It's entitled okay. Pilgrim of Eternity. It was okay. a 2013 fan based sequel to the episode. So that'll be what we'll watch between now and next time. And uh, Bob Vossler is coming on on uh, Monday. 
So uh, I'll present it to him too, so he could set it up with uh, his uh, local uh, Starfleet organization. And um, the uh, Chandlers, they belong to another like global Starfleet organization, which isn't the same one that Bob Vossler belongs to, but it doesn't seem to be active right now. So there's nothing to join. I joined everybody here last time uh, to the um, uh, Starfleet that Bob Vossler is associated with. So we're members there officially. And right now we're just going through the red tape. I haven't received anything back yet, Um, but uh, um, we're going to be looking at this from two different perspectives. We'll be in two different uh, universes of the Federation around the same time. So that should make it interesting. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, because these Starfleets have different timelines, even though they coincide with the movies and the television shows. Uh, those are incorporated into their history. Uh, they're not the same Starfleet organization, so th- there are certain things that are different. So we start off with two different timelines. And uh, the Chandler's vessel is called the USS Odyssey, which I thought was cool. <laughs> Start so, taking notes over here. Okay. All right. So what else should we be preparing for between now and the next month? Uh, just write down a, a couple of pages or a page uh, of your background so we can start posting that. Uh, we'll get it writing, and I will do the same. And, okay. Uh, and email it to you? I'm sorry? Oh, and email that to you? You can email it to me or we could form a group on Facebook and post it there as document, have like a secret group, which will be our work group. And uh, it'll be open to whoever's involved in, you know, the, whatever uh, projects. Uh, and this way it'll be accessible at times. Or we could do it by uh, email. It, it really doesn't matter to me, whatever everybody's most uh, comfortable with. Uh, some people don't feel comfortable on Facebook because they say that uh, it's too easy to access their information on Facebook. So if that's a concern, we could do it on Gmail, uh, through email, uh, going back and forth. Any preferences? No, I'm, I'm comfortable with either one, Hercules. Okay. Yeah, no no, I, can, I can do either one. I mean, doing it, you know, send it by email is a little easy because I can just write it up a word and just you know, send it by email that way. Okay. So that, that is what we will do. And um, now... Are you guys interested in uh, in cosplay and conventions? That's the next uh, question. Conventions, oh, yeah. yes. Cosplay, not so much right now. Okay. Michelle might be. The <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably game for doing some cosplay um, once I've got my character figured out um, okay. and feel a little more comfortable with with that. Um, I would definitely be interested. Um, and definitely on conventions, too. Okay, fantastic. Yeah, we do the conventions all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that I know. You guys are, go to a lot of conventions. Uh, Thomas, how about you? I have role-played some Bucker Frickin' for many years by text, text, you know, text only, like in chat rooms and all that. So this would be kind of one of the first times I actually, actually cosplayed, you know, by actual speaking. Which you know, I could practice that, and I'll I'll be quite comfortable. And and I've co- and I've cosplayed as at conventions too. Last year I cosplayed as an Inkling from Splatoon, actually. And there was one year I actually did cosplay as Simbaka or Fick in person, just by the fact no one knew who I was. 
So yeah, I'm I'm all for it. And uh, um, I used to do a lot of conventions, and I was doing cosplay before it was called cosplay. <laughs> There wasn't a term yet, uh, and uh, we used to do like uh, uh, like guerrilla theater, um, and uh, um, I used to also before I had my uh, fringe TV show when we just used to do like again guerrilla theater. Uh, I used to go like on uh, quests for the Grail at three o'clock in the morning, uh, stop in like Seven Elevens or whatever, and ask questions about the Grail. And uh, we did other things that used to play out at like uh, uh, all night laundromats and things like that and start like little urban legends. So I, I always used to have a lot of fun doing uh, that. Uh, we used to do something uh, also around the time uh, in the early like weird entertainment days. Uh, we used to call it hick shopping. And uh, we, I would get different bunches of people together and we would pretend that we were country folk. And uh, I was the sophisticated one who lived in the city. So I'd be explaining to them, like, again, in the middle of the night, two to four o'clock in the morning, uh, about how soda machines worked and other things. And we would ask uh, uh, the people working very strange, uh, you know, questions uh, uh, or not so strange questions, too. Uh, So this used to play out and it used to play out at very odd hours and at very sporadic times. Um, people used to talk about it. So eventually when we show up somewhere, uh, some people already heard about us <laughs> and uh, they would uh, you know, try to become part of this weird urban, you know, urban legend that was uh, uh, taking place at, at odd hours. So um, at the conventions, uh, we can each have a function. Um, and while we're doing the conventions, what we're doing could be part of a, a show that isn't really a show or now it's easy to record things. So we can even record them and put them on uh uh, YouTube or something. I don't know if I made any sense now, but if if I haven't, let me know and I'll I'll explain a little bit more. I think it kind of does. It's, it's you know making use out of you know uh, the modern forms of technology and kind of how we do social media today versus what you were doing some years ago. Right. Um, yeah, I understand. Okay, awesome. Well, same thing goes. Uh, yeah, same thing goes with my character too. It's like you know, some some people are considered like a furry, which I never really classified him as, and I didn't know uh-huh. about the term until like about ten years ago myself. But it did has a history in itself too. But yeah, <laughs> so I greatly understand. <laughs> okay, awesome, Nicholas. Yeah, I think so. Uh. So this is how, like, something – go ahead. No, no, keep going. I'm sorry. Okay, like, we're trying to investigate what happened to Apollo, and we're visiting several timelines. So you don't have Mm -hmm. to explain the timelines or anything. You just basically, like, ask Starfleet people, you know, tell them that you're part of this vessel uh, and you're part of an investigative team uh, to determine what happened to Apollo, and then just play it straight. I'll give you another example. Okay. Uh, we did Klingons a lot. So we saw that Starfleet had a, um, a uh, um, Starfleet information table. So we made a Klingon information table, and we had a nice, uh, you know, like really uh, menacing-looking sign. And then we had uh, water and cups, and uh, then we had, like, the strangest foods we could find. We went to a lot of uh, ethnic uh, neighborhoods, 
and got things like mustard balls and and candied fish and you know things like that. So we put it we put it out uh, in displays, and people would come to the Klingon information table, uh, and we would tell them you know take food, um, take water. This is your custom, you know. <laughs> And they'd be looking at this stuff, trying to figure out what to do with it. And uh, some people would try and other people uh, wouldn't. Uh, and then uh, when they'd ask questions about Klingons, uh, we would ask them, who told you this? And like start interrogating them um, about, you know, where they got this information. And anything they got from uh, Star Trek, the TV show, was uh, a Federation propaganda. So oh, okay. they, they, never, they never got any answers wow. <laughs> from the Klingon information center. And... Uh, <laughs> well, any custom that we could uh, uh, basically, uh, uh, you know, confront them with, you know, here, this is your custom, you know, <laughs> uh, and uh, the customs are ridiculous, but there were real customs that people had on this planet with hospitality and, and things like that. So uh, it, it became, it was a show, a live show, um, but it wasn't, it, it wasn't on stage. Our stage was uh, the reality of the, the, a convention and how they did things and uh like when we had meetings back then uh um i got us uh, the security gig as klingons uh, with the creation convention so we were dressed as klingons and would do security and that allowed for more you know theater and they gave us a room that we could have as a meeting room so uh we wouldn't let anybody in we had guards at the door and inside the room we had incense and we put candles like on a tray but it looked like we had started like a campfire in the middle of the floor, you know, to anybody like peeking in very quickly. Uh, so we kept it very <laughs> mysterious in terms of what we were doing, what we we're talking about in there. And of course, everybody was curious, uh, but we wouldn't let them in unless it was by special invitation. And then we made it very scary for them. So the rumors started flow, you know, flying around. So not we're not doing Klingons now. We're going to be doing, you know, like uh, Olympians and other um, uh, aliens or multidimensional beings. But do you see how that lends itself to theater, uh, like playing it straight, you know, the the role at the convention? Yes, it's sort of it like. It does, yeah. LARPing, and now you know, with social sort of media, like... people will record it and put it on uh, uh, YouTube um, or we can record it and put it on YouTube. So it, it'll be like a fun thing that will make people say, what the hell are they doing? <laughs> and wonder. And uh, th th that wonderment will be part of the story. I, I know that uh, when we went to WonderCon, we noticed that, um, and I think they do this every year, where they have uh, Starship, uh, no, Star Wars uh, Troopers, that they okay. must uh, coordinate with the local chapter. And um, every year they have the stormtroopers as kind of like they play out as line control, line monitors, yes, and things yes, like yes. that. And so not only is it, you know, in a way it's sort of like, oh, oh, this is a stormtrooper, and, of course, you can't see their face. So, you know, you kind of like, follow the flow and you try to stay out of trouble um you know and but at the so they they play along and they right. kind of play their characters um but then they'll they'll like one of the stormtroopers that we had was like a comedian 
And so, like, he decided, you know, as we're telling us to stay within the lines, he then started cracking these different jokes. And it's kind of – it was funny, you know, Uh and and it was was actually made it more entertaining. Yes, it would be like that. It it would be uh, um, basically not just wearing the the costume but assuming the role. We used to call it role assumption way back when. And then doing – creative or be, or bizarre things with the, the role uh, that wasn't what people uh, expect or we take what people expect and do it to the nth degree, you know, take it far beyond mm-hmm. what they were uh, expecting. And it was fun. And it was comedy in a sense too. It was definitely uh, um, you know parody and, and satire of the original uh, material, uh, but by the same token, it became something new. And it influenced uh, subcultures. Like back then, uh, I was exploring the uh, Thor aspect of uh, my operant archetype. So uh, I had a Klingon named Kathor. So I blended it with the outer space uh, science fiction Star Trek. Uh, and I used to carry a sawed-off sledgehammer. So the the fact that I did this wound up in in several Klingon books, including the Klingon Way, where they talk about how hammers are sacred to uh, to Klingons, though none can say why. And some of the other things we did at the conventions wound up on uh, um, Star Trek uh, um, Voyager and on Star Trek. You know, the things that we had originally done is like uh, things there at the convention. So uh, they do have an influence on, on like the subculture and they make their way into the stories uh, if you're going to conventions and people who write for the show uh, are attending these conventions. If you do something original up, it eventually becomes part of the story. Um, so that that's a fascinating thing to to watch happen uh, as well. Yeah, definitely, and I could see that uh, you know playing out at some of the conventions out here where we go to. Okay, so we, we will start planning uh, adventures and again uh, uh, filming them and putting them on uh, YouTube. Uh, and other uh, social media on Facebook and and so forth. Uh, and they'll all be directed toward the, the story that we're telling. Uh, and another thing, I don't know if you're interested in trying it. Uh, this is something I'd done a while back too with uh, uh, we did, uh, um, uh, I, I stopped exploring the uh, Klingon uh, thing, but I was still exploring the Norse mythology. Uh, and uh, we had a show called uh, Thor and Moonen's Otherworld Adventures, Barbarians in Space. And uh, there was an interview part of that. We had like a machine that allowed you to summon people through time and space. So we interviewed authors uh, uh, and writers. Um, But uh, another thing that uh, we did on the show is we had like short scripted segments as well. Um, And I don't have somebody who could do this now, but I'm sure we'll find somebody uh, who we'd read the lines, then they'd edit them. Uh, like we're talking now that we could like read the lines that somebody could edit them, put music and make like little mini uh, skits. Is that something that would interest you if we did that at some point? Michelle's got the editing skills. Who has yeah. Michelle? Oh, awesome. Do, okay, yeah. great. We will have a conversation about that, uh, but that's a fun okay. thing to do too. And it adds to the unfolding adventure. Yeah, that sounds uh, exciting, and, you know, always I appreciate opportunities to use my skills and and uh, 
you know, hone them and become a better expert at editing. So that would be cool. Thank you so very much. And Thomas, you, you have a podcast uh, also. Um, so what do you think of, uh, of, of this idea? I would be greatly, I would greatly enjoy it. I've, I've kind of like doing like a little voice acting as, as well as, as reading lines from the script. So I would be, I would enjoy that greatly. Okay, fantastic. And um, I know a few people who want to be voice uh, actors or who, you know, who do things like uh, um, radio DJing and, and things like that, and they want to get some experience doing voices. Uh, so I'm going to ask uh, them if they'd like to get involved. If you know anybody who wants to eventually do voice work that just needs to get their voice out there, we can uh, ask them as well. Well, certainly. Okay. I think we know a couple of voice actors. Yeah, or or even people that would probably be game uh, for doing it. Okay, awesome. So the, this this grows uh, and more possibilities uh, present themselves. Uh, can you guys uh, do you guys have anything that you would like to do or a direction you'd like to take it in? Let's explore possibilities. You know, I I think that uh, because Nick and I are both writers, I think we'd be interested in kind of. Uh, seeing how we could probably spin off into some stories. I'm thinking... Um, Sword and Planet! Sword and yes. Planet, but I'm also thinking um, <laughs> some poetry might come out of this, um, you know, from my character, um, that maybe she'll write some poetry um, that might, you know, go somewhere. So I want to pin it. Lynn Carter has fish, and this seems like a good opportunity to learn some. There you go. How about then, uh, because we're not going to be able to really uh, write stories set in uh, franchised universes that belong to other people. Um, I had, when we're, before we did the Klingon thing, uh, I put together like a, a whole uh, solar system uh, for the Greek uh, gods and uh, uh, I had like uh, where the Norse gods lived and there were giants and all sorts of other things. Um, I couldn't dig that up. And uh, we can play with that and create a, a, a playground for ourselves. So this way, when we're writing and publishing stories, they take place in our own universe. And then we can just mention uh, the multidimensional explorations and things like that. And we can come up with a different storyline for that. Uh, and this way, um, we can publish our own stories. Like have a shared like universe. My, uh, my uh, blood-bonded sister... Um her she goes by the she her she goes by the mystical name of Thura, which is you know the, the daughter of from North North mythology. But she does some writing herself. She's written a couple of books actually, and she knows oh, awesome. her well, well around of North myth, North mythology greatly. Oh, that'll be fantastic! Yeah, I, I think we'd have a lot of uh, fun with it in the shared universe type of thing because then we could write individual stories about uh, our. Um, you know, our, our characters or incarnations in this universe. Uh, we can make up new incarnations or characters and have them be doing something. And uh, just like uh, I'm thinking like uh, Robert uh, Aspirin and Lynn Abbey did with Thieves World uh, once upon a time. I don't know that one. Yeah, I'm not familiar with that. Oh, okay. Thieves World was a sword. In, are you familiar with it, Thomas? Doesn't sound familiar. Okay, uh, I'm older than you guys, I guess. Um, <laughs> Robert Aspen and Lynn Abbey 
uh, uh, put together a town called uh, Sanctuary. And they came up with this because every time you wrote uh, Sword and Sorcery, uh, you had to create like a whole new world for your characters. So they were saying, wouldn't it be cool if there was a world where you could go into a bar and encounter Conan, uh, you know, look out the window and see Fofford and the Grey Mouser pulling off their latest uh, misadventure uh, and, uh, you know, have all these characters and they share the same world and they can encounter each other and interact with each other. So they, they created a, uh, a town. Uh, they created a history for that town. They created a bunch of characters and people could use each other's characters, but had to get permission. And then the 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 uh, actual location became something that they could all adventure in. And then the editors were like the dungeon masters, and determined like the the direction of the story and and things like that. Uh, so they published, I believe it was a series of twelve books. And uh, Robert Asprin died, and Lynn Abbey tried to bring it back, and I think three or four books were published. And then it kind of uh, uh, wound down. Green Ronin tried to uh, bring it back as a role-playing game as well. Um, and uh, uh, I don't think anything recently is happening there. Uh, but it, it was just that idea that, uh, um, and especially if we're dealing with multiple dimensions, this could be just one multi-dimensional place. So you could, your, your character isn't owned by the franchise. You could take your character off into another universe as well, and you know, your character is yours to do what you want to do with the character. You know, we pulled up the Thieves World uh, Wikipedia entry, and you're glancing through it. It sounds like it was okay. a fun uh, project back in the day. Right. So we can do something similar with uh, outer space, and we can develop uh, um, in, in multiple dimensions and multiple uh, times. Uh, it would be like rifts, but not as bleak as rifts. <laughs> There'd be a lot of really cool, you know, fun rather than horrendous stuff going on. Uh, and uh, um, we can play with uh, board games, role-playing games, all sorts of other stuff. You know, we could we could cooperate together on making like a universe uh, and uh, uh, bring it to life through stories and our activities and so forth. I like that idea. I'm game. Yeah, I'm up for that. Awesome. Uh, I wish we all lived closer together. (laughs) We we could be sitting now over coffee, and uh, and uh, it could extend past uh, this uh, hour because we have like nine more minutes left. Um, But good. I'm very glad. that you're interested in doing this. Can you think of anything else we can add to the soup and uh, um, then we'll figure out how we can do this? At the moment, I can't think of anything else. I mean, this is just like all brand new to me, so it's very exciting. It's kind of like when you brought up uh, Rift a couple of months ago, I was like, oh my gosh, that just opened up the world in the... um, you know, all of the possibilities and options that are available. I think that, um, you know, now seeing these world, that even, you know, opens it up even more and thinking about what we all have an interest in. I think one of the biggest things is, uh, you know, mythologies and mysticism, I think, will, yes. will be very huge in this, in this world. 
and you can write stories of uh, Amerikita's like background and you know what she was doing in ancient Egypt, and uh, uh, out of those will grow some mystery that might be celestial that drove her. Uh, to go in the direction of space. She might have something she's looking for that nobody else knows about her. Yeah, I mean, th- those are just like things that popped into my head. But uh, we can, you know, the roguish uh, adventures of uh, Antares Victor. Am I saying it correctly? Oh, my, no. Imperin Revic. Imperin, you're going to have to send this to me in an email. Imperic. Handed. I, <laughs> I can't read my own handwriting. <laughs> in so all his roguish adventures, you know, uh, you know, why is he on the uh, um, on this multidimensional adventure? If he's a, a local uh, contemporary guy, is he running from someone? You know, is, is there something chasing him, or uh, is he on to get this information because he's heard about some uh, ancient Greek relic? Or yes, so you see what I mean, you know? And with the uh, Simbakas, why does Simbaka get involved? Uh, uh, with studying mythology, you know, and uh, how is he developed during the, you know, it doesn't have to be eugenics wars. That's like clone wars. We could say something else wars, the replicant wars or whatever, uh, and uh, uh, come up with a story uh, for that. And it, it's very rich uh, in terms of uh, exploring these uh, these things for ourselves and, um, and sharing them with other people. And it could go in a, like a million different directions. Actually, what's interesting is that when I, when I was role-playing Simbaka, I did actually create a Q character that was – his backstory was that he was once the genie from Aladdin, actually. Because he go. was on Earth, you know, creating Earth. So it would be interesting to try to incorporate also the Disney version of Hercules somewhere in the mix of that that would have connected with Simbaka's history on that. Which, by the way, by the way, the the Olympus stage at Kingdom Hearts three was wonderful. You start out in Thebes and you work your way up to Mount Olympus and you end up fighting the Titans. It was wonderful. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> we'd have to we'd have to take the Disney aspects uh, away from it, but the 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 tales are timeless. So you know the yeah uh, exactly the, the thematic unfoldings uh, uh, would be rooted in the same folklore and mythology that Disney drew from. Mm-hmm. I am very excited. <laughs> My mind is racing like a million miles a minute right now. Um, so I, I, I'm sure I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight because ideas will be flooding into my, <laughs> flooding into my head. <laughs> well, nice that we gave you both of inspiration. <laughs> yes, yes, like, like Zeus uh, uh, inspiring me. Um, I have to write uh, – I'm, I'm – I'm, submitting something to another one of uh, Tim Beckley's uh, anthologies and uh, a couple of the magazines that uh, I've uh, uh, written for in the past have asked me if I'd like to come back. So uh, I'm thinking about like how to best, uh, um, you know, budget my time so I can start writing for them again. And I feel confident at this point to tackle like an entire book. So uh, um, this sounds like what I'll be doing for fun. (laughs) between, uh, um, you know, writing these type of uh, other things, you know, uh, uh, freeing my imagination to wander in the multiverse and uh, uh, gather together other heroes for a, uh, a quest that will be remembered throughout time. That, that sounds like a really fun way uh, uh, to spend my time. And I'll get to interact with you guys more, which is phenomenal. Um, one last question I had before we wrap up for tonight um, 
everything I do ties either directly or indirectly to some like social thing, you know, to try to make the world a better place. So, uh, like what resonates most uh, powerfully with you? Um, is it, um, the environment, like environmental issues, uh, finding one's like right livelihood and place in life. So, uh, like vocational issues or, um, like optimal wellness and health. I'm probably vocational number two. Okay. Just kind of knowing who you are and what you want to do. You know, it's something that I think we all kind of, you know, try to haggle with every day. Some people know that answer. Others don't. I don't. You don't really yes, for me it's... Thomas? Yeah. Yeah, for me, it's like probably more my, like my place in life, you know, making a purpose, make, helping make a difference, know that I've, I've done my part. Okay, Michelle? Um, I would say that while um, I think per, part of it is personal growth, I think uh, the larger picture would be um, finding a way to communicate uh, peaceful coexistence. Um, you know, to have more love and more peace in the world um, and more tolerance and acceptance um, of, you know, people being different um, and yet being the same. We're all, we're all here on planet Earth. So um, maybe it sounds corny, but just, you know, trying to be a more peaceful, coexisting, loving world, I guess. Hey, we're all in this spaceship together. Yes, we are. And th- that would fit more with, uh, like, the uh, interfaith and social service thing. So, okay, let me let me uh, think about that. And you guys think about it, too, how we can weave that into what we're doing, too, so that uh, uh, as we uh, have these uh, adventures, uh, we can also benefit uh, the planet and people in the ways that are important to you. I like that. Yeah, that sounds good. Okay, awesome. Thanks again for uh, a wonderful uh, and productive conversation. They're telling me we have 60 seconds, so I will now play the outro. Thanks again, uh, and I look forward to our next conversation. Have a wonderful evening. You you too. Thank you so much for having me on, and you have a wonderful evening. You too. Bye-bye. Olympian Blessings to all who have joined us on our adventure. Now, go forth and create a better world, one filled with light and love. On behalf of the pride of Olympus and her crew, may your journeys be joyous.